Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of season five of Uncap It. It's your host, Kennedy and Carmen, and we are super excited to be starting yet another season of the ICAP podcast. Unfortunately, this will be my last season of the podcast because I am graduating this year. So it'll be, I'll be passing the torch on to new ICAP fellows, but we're very excited for all the episodes we have coming up in this season, and we are ready to dive in to today's episode. It's also a really exciting year for us in the topic of politics because it's a presidential election year in the United States. Recently, we have started the season of primaries and caucuses, and it's really important to understand what these primaries mean for the presidential election. So today, Carmen and I just kind of want to dive in and talk a little bit about why we have these and how they impact the election that's coming up this year. First off, we're going to define what primaries are. Most states hold primaries six to nine months before a presidential election. Primary voters choose their preferred candidate anonymously by casting secret ballots. Then the state where the primary is held takes the results of the vote into account to award delegates to the winner. Primaries are run by state and local governments. So there are many different kinds of primaries that happen in different states because each state gets to do primaries the way that they choose to do it. So the first kind is a closed primary. And this is when only declared party members are able to vote in the election. So you have to be registered as either a Democrat or a Republican to be able to vote in these primaries. And people who favor closed elections argue that it encourages party unity and that party members are guaranteed to have a say and non-party members cannot influence the party's choices. So it kind of just creates stability within a party. Absolutely. The next kind is an open primary, and this is when all voters, even those who are not declared in a particular party, are allowed to vote. And people who are in favor of this system think that this is better because it allows citizens to keep their affiliations private if they want to, but still be an active part of the election. There is a third version, which is a blend of the two, and it's called a mixed primary. According to Britannica, this system allows independents to vote in either party's primary, but requires voters registered with a political party to vote in their own party's primary. Requiring party-registered voters to vote in their own party's primary is supposed to prevent a phenomenon known as crossover voting. As defined again by Britannica, this is where members of rival parties vote for the weakest candidate in the opposition's primary in order to sway the results of the election. There's a few more categories of primaries. You have a direct primary or an indirect primary. So direct primaries are when voters are casting votes to decide their party's candidate directly. Indirect would mean that voters cast votes to elect delegates who then choose the party's candidate at another separate political convention. Imagine this as sort of a mini electoral college where they are choosing a candidate for a party, not for the entire United States. Indirect primaries can be binding or advisory, meaning that delegates may or may not be required to vote for who the citizens selected them to vote for. Tying it back into that example of a mini electoral college, this would be where you would have faithful or unfaithful electors. If you would like to know a little bit more about delegates and the process of how they're chosen, we actually have a critical question coming out about primaries and caucuses as well. So 
You can check that out on our website and it'll link you to where all of our critical questions are and it'll be coming out shortly after this episode is released. So the primary system is a system that is unique to the United States. It was first used as early as the 1840s, but it became common and regulated after about the 1890s. The primary elections have a largely symbolic role as well in the overall presidential campaign. Because of the increasing news and media coverage of the primaries, the results of these elections can make or break people's political campaigns. Candidates that perform well in the primaries often tend to get more funding and more publicity around their presidential campaign. During the primary season, we also hear about caucuses. And caucuses are held by several states, but not all states have them. So very similar to primaries, caucuses are held in the months leading up to the presidential election. And these are meetings that are run by the political parties, and they are held at the county or district level. Some caucuses choose candidates by secret ballots, while others require participants to divide themselves into groups according to the candidate that they support. Then each candidate's groups will give speeches and try to get other voters to join their group. At the end, the number of delegates given to each candidate is based on the number of caucus votes that they received. So the big difference between primaries and caucuses are that caucuses are private meetings run by political parties, as where primaries are run by our state and local government. Right. This year in the news, the Republican primaries and caucuses are in the spotlight because Republicans have to decide on who their party representative will be. And this is because since there is an incumbent for the Democratic Party, in most cases, the party will choose to run with their incumbent. Right. And so typically, the news and the media focuses more on the party that doesn't have an incumbent running. Primary and caucus season is also when many candidates choose to drop out of the races because they aren't performing as well in the primaries as they would hope. So with current events, like Carmen said, the Republican Party is getting a lot more attention on what's happening on their primaries and their caucuses. So currently, former President Donald Trump and foreign and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley are the only remaining major Republican candidates left. Everyone else has dropped out and is now endorsing other candidates just because of the results of the primaries. Now, as we look at the Ohio primary specifically, the Democratic and Republican parties will hold primary elections on March 19th of this year. The deadline to register to vote is February 20th. Local boards of elections will be open to 9 p.m. to accommodate voters, according to the Ohio Secretary of State. As we talked about earlier, there are multiple different types of primaries, and so Ohio is a partially open primary state, which means that voters do not have to be affiliated with a political party before going to the polls. But once you arrive, you will be asked to select a political party which you would like to vote for. To go into a little bit more detail about this process, specifically at a local level, our guest for this episode will be the director and deputy director of the Harding County Board of Elections. So we are now here with our guests. We're very excited to take this to a more local level. And today we are going to be speaking to the director and the deputy director of the Harding County Board of Elections. So if you guys could both just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hi, my name is Amy Purcell and I am the director. I was hired as the Republican clerk 
in this office in 2014, and I moved into the position of the director in July of 2023. And I'll let Stephanie introduce herself. My name is Stephanie McCullough, and I am the deputy director and a Democrat. And if anyone is familiar with Kenton and remembers Happy Humpty and Lucky Steer Restaurant, that's where I started working back in the day, and that closed. And then I went to Town and Country Lumber, and that closed. <laughs> and then I went to Wilco to work, and they closed. <laughs> but and then I went to have a board of elections. And then I went to Bartol Company and sold flagpoles for years and years and years, and they closed. So I finally wanted to find a job that would not close, <laughs> and I would have job security. So that's how I ended up the Board of Elections. Not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so excited to have both of you here on the podcast today. Thank you. So we want to kick off our first question with, as far as how the actual voting process works for a citizen... For those individuals who may not have voted before, how different is voting in the primary from going to vote for the actual election? The basic difference for a primary election, especially in an even-numbered year, is it's going to be a partisan primary election. So you would, when you go to vote, your poll worker will ask you which party's ballot you would like to vote, either Democrat, Republican, or you may have the option of voting in issues-only ballot. We have some precincts this year that do not have an issue on their ballot, so it's either voting a Democratic ballot, a Republican ballot, or you just would not be able to vote this time. Right. You must first be a registered voter in the state of Ohio, and um, voter registration ends about 30 days before an election. So okay. the deadline to get registered for this March 19th primary election is February 20th. And our office is open till 9 o'clock that night to accept voter registrations. And those can come from libraries, from the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, from Job and Family Services, from the Treasurer's Office, schools, actually schools, too. Any school that receives government monies, I believe. Right. Are residents also able to register to vote online, or are they just through getting them through those organizations that you listed? You can register to vote online. If you go to voteohio.gov, you can register to vote online. I'm not sure if um, you have to have a valid Ohio driver's license in order to do that, or a, a valid Ohio ID card to do that. I'm not exactly sure. I can't go in and do it unless I'm going to actually register. So I've never actually sat with somebody right. who was registering to vote through that for the first time. But that voteohio.gov um, website is a, it has so much information. You can check your voter registration. You can register to vote. You can change your address. You can find the address or how to contact your county board of elections. You can actually, um, you know, it can take you through steps where you can actually go to see your what your actual ballot is going to look like. So there's a lot of different things that that website can help you out with. Perfect. That sounds like a one-stop shop for people who are looking for information about how 
to register and also what their primary ballots might look like. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. Ohio Northern has a variety of students, including those who are from out of state. So for those who don't know, can you vote early for primaries and can you use mail-in ballots? Yes. In Ohio, you have the option to vote early for any election. And it is approximately 30 days before an election. So, um, you know, sometimes with the holidays or um, weekends, it's a little bit different. You know, it's not exactly 30 days, but it's right around there. And you can vote by mail if that's what you choose to do. So you can vote in person or by mail. In order to vote by mail, you have to fill out a request form. And it just, you put all your information on there. You tell them, um, you say where you would like your ballot to be mailed to. So if you happen to be a student from um, Cleveland that's going to ONU, you can get one of those forms. You can either go to voteohio.gov and um, get one of those forms and print it out and fill it out and send it. And it'll actually also show you the address that you would need to send it to for each county's board of elections. But you get one of those applications to say, so you're going to want to send it if you're registered in Cuyahoga County, you would use your home address as your, that's because that's your registration address. And then you, there's a line on there for where you would like your ballot mailed to. So if you need to have it mailed to your um, address at ONU, they can actually send you your ballot right to ONU. I would assume the other states, you could do that same thing, or you can register to vote if you're out of from out of state, you can register as an Ohio voter. But then there's there's some gray areas on what would happen if you do that. Right, right. But it sounds like it, they're making it very accessible for everyone to be able to get out and to vote in these elections no matter what. Right. Excellent. Um, I will say I wanted to throw in there that if you do want to vote by mail and you're a registered voter in Ohio, you have the deadline to send your application in for a ballot is Tuesday, March 12th. Excellent. Yep. That's a week before the election, so that allows the Board of Elections enough time to mail the ballot and enough time, hopefully, for the voter to get their ballot back to the, the Board of Elections. Absolutely. So now we want to talk a little bit more about the primary process and especially on a local level because we vote on things that aren't just the presidential elections during primaries. So how do state or local candidates get on the primary ballots? They first must file a petition. They can come into our office and we have petition packets ready and it will tell them how to, what the rules are for um getting petition, getting signatures. If they're doing a declaration of candidacy petition, then they have to obtain signatures from voters who are at the same political affiliation as they are. And it tells them how to set up a campaign finance account if they're going to spend any money on their campaign. They may want to put up signs or whatever. And then they'll file that petition with us. And then we check the signatures. We actually every signature that, that person may gather, we pull up our voter registration system and we compare that signature with what we have on file. So it's very important. I know a lot of younger, of the younger generation doesn't really have a cursive signature anymore, 
but you have variances in how you print your name that um, are the same every time you do it. So that's what we check just to make sure that that person is that person. Um, and we check their addresses to make sure that that's the address that we have them registered at. There's a lot of things for a petition. Yep. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting verification process, but it's definitely very important to make sure that when there are local candidates running, that they are getting support from real people and they actually are supporting them. So, And there are a minimum number of signatures that they must obtain to get their petition certified by our board. Oh, excellent. So they have to meet that threshold. They can go over, but they cannot go over by three times. Wow. But that And that hardly ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> you might get some excited people every once in a while that want to get as many signatures as they can, but it usually doesn't happen. Yeah, understandably. This leads us into our next question, which is, what steps do you and your staff take leading up to the election to make sure everything is correct and accurate on the day of the election? And it seems like you've touched on this a little bit in terms of local candidates. Right. Well, to begin with, our office is a completely bipartisan office. So the, as we said, the director and the deputy director are the opposite parties of each other. And then we ha also have two other full-time staff members one Republican and one Democratic clerk. We Anything that we do regarding an election is done in a bipartisan manner. Even coming into our office, there are two locks on that door. Uh, and one is, is a Democratic key and one is a Republican key. So you have to have that bipartisan um, relationship even though we don't look at each other on a day-to-day -day basis and say, oh, I'm not going to say that out loud because you're a Democrat. We work very well together, but we have to have that to make ensure that there is nothing nefarious going yes, on. Yes, yes. When we get our ballots programmed into the system, we have rovers who come in, and every voting machine that is deployed has to go through a logic and accuracy testing. We give them the scripts of the ballots to vote. They do that, and they bring it back to our tabulation system. We put their USB into our system. We see that we make sure that the expected results come through. And then they, like I said, every machine is tested before we deploy them. And that goes for, for our accessible ballots, um, our poll books, they're all pre-tested before we deploy them on our election even, day. Even the paper ballots, we're in the process right now of printing paper ballots, and then we will hand mark them. Um, we'll mark the first set with the person in the first position. We'll mark the second set with the person in the second position. That way, when we run those through our scanners, we make sure there are X amount of votes for the person that's in position one and X amount of votes for the person in position two. So when we have a an election like this where there are five Republican presidential candidates, we have to have five sets of ballots and we'll do all the positions, none of the positions, position one, two, three, four, and five, and run all those through that scanner just to make sure that the results that we are expecting are what is actually coming out of that tabulation system. 
And then also with, in conjunction with the Secretary of State, the Secretary of State will weekly give us figures to put in for candidates, how many votes these candidates get. It's called a mock election. Okay. And we do that, and we send the, our, we put them into our tabulation system, and we send them to the Secretary of State just to make sure that the systems between us and the Secretary of State are working correctly. So then on election night, the results that we send them will, you know, they have been tested and they can be, we can be sure that they're correct. Wow. I had no idea all of these precautions existed, even down to the keys on the door. That's really impressive. And it kind of builds a faith in our system of how we go about our elections. Right. And that's just like the very tip of the iceberg. Wow. Since 2018, I believe, is when we really started a, a big, we got a huge security directive and we had to implement um, a bunch of things. It's, it's cyber, as far as cybersecurity and physical security in the office, it had to, it entailed a lot of changes. Absolutely. That's very reassuring to hear as a voter. Yes. And regardless of any of that, Ohio's voting machines have never been hooked to the internet. So when you go to the polls on election day or when you come in here and vote early, those machines are not connected to the internet. So it's not sending that data over the internet whatsoever. There are There is hardware in there that that information is stored on and then we remove that hardware and then we place it into our tabulation system. And even the the doors where that hardware is are locked, is sealed with zip tie seals, a numbered zip tie seal that Democrat and a Republican have to say, okay, this is the seal number. You check it off your list, make sure that's the seal number. And then when you're finished, you put a new seal on. So it, it, it involves a lot. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, it's great to see how many checks there are, especially, like you said, both bipartisan, both parties are very involved, which makes everybody feel secure that our elections are being handled properly. It's great to hear that. So we have one more segment on our podcast. It's called Factor Cap. And this is essentially just true or false, but in Gen Z terms. So if you agree with the statement, you'll say fact. And if you disagree, you'll say cap. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, but just for some clarification, our factor cap for today is you can only vote in the Ohio primaries if you are registered to a political party. Factor cap. That is cap. That so is in any, Yes. In any primary election, say I as a registered Republican would go in and there are Democrats who I really admire and I want to vote on them. I could change my political party and not keep my job, but I could <laughs> She's like going, yeah. Um, if I was an average person, I could do that. I could change my political party every election. Or if I am not registered as a political party, I could go and ask for any ballot that I want. That's how you become a, a affiliated, affiliated with a party. party in the state of Ohio is by going into a primary election and asking for that specific ballot. If you do not wish to be affiliated with a party whatsoever, then you would go in and ask for an issues only ballot. 
So you could stay unaffiliated with a party. And I just want to reiterate, there are there is not an independent party. You can be independent of a party, which means that you would be voting on the issues only ballot. But there is not an independent party. First started working, yeah. It, it, there's a lot of confusion before between independent and unaffiliated, and there's also nonpartisan, which that's another story, also. <laughs> Well, it looks like that when people come in, they can make their choice, and it's good to know that you can't ask for an independent ballot. You just need to ask for an issues-only ballot. Correct. It's nice to hear that if you want to change your mind in the future about what political party you want, that it's open to change with every primary season. Correct. And when you get to the general election ballot, you know, you have you have the the Democrat and the Republican who won their party's nomination – on that ballot. So if you like the Democratic president nomination, you can vote for them, but then you get to the Senate and you like the Republican better. You can vote for that. So on a on a general election ballot, you have all the choices there. So you can make whatever choice you want. It's just the nominating in the primary election to put that party's candidate on the general election ballot. You're just nominating them. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. I can say I've learned a lot here from this experience. I don't know about you, Kennedy. So we're very, very grateful that you took the time to talk about this, especially because it's a local issue and you're dealing with the county that Ohio Northern University is a resident of. I would also like to throw out there that if you are a registered voter in Hardin County and have the desire to work at the polls, we are in need of poll workers. So please contact our office. We'll spread the word. (laughs) Yeah, please. Well, thank you again, Amy and Stephanie, and we wish you the best as you're heading into this election season. We hope all goes well with you at the Hardin County Board of Elections. Thank you. Thank you. And here we are with our first polar bear POV of the season. Can you introduce yourself, your name, major, and year? Uh, Yes, I am Matthew Petrella. I am a senior political science major here on campus. We're so glad to have you on the podcast, Matthew. So we're just going to jump right in. Today we've been talking about primaries and caucuses and just what they are, how you can get registered for these. So have you ever voted in a primary before? Yes, I voted in the 2022 uh, midterms, our primary in Ohio. Okay, and are you planning on voting in this primary coming up? Uh, Yeah, there's actually going to be a lot on the ballot for this March primary. So more than just president, we have Senate, U.S. House. Ohio Senate, Ohio House, all that. Right, we got lots of important things to vote on. Excellent. So what do you think is the main purpose of primaries and caucuses? I'd probably say that primaries are basically meant for the selection process, for the nominees of each party. In theory, without them, you could have 20 candidates on a ballot, so it's just too many to choose from to make an informed decision about. Do you think most people in our generation have a good understanding of why we do these elections? I do not. Um, I would say just the general population of the United States does not have good enough knowledge about what these elections are. Kind of gerrymandering and all that, a lot of elections, your representative is going to be decided in the primary. It's not going to be in the general election just because of the makeup of each district. So really, these elections can kind of determine what policies are going to be put forth. 
Absolutely. I think a lot of people are confused by primaries and caucuses, especially because, like, a lot of states do them differently, so it's not, like, very uniform. People just don't really understand why we have them, and they think, oh, this isn't as important because, like, the general election is where we actually decide things. But like you said, these can be super impactful on what happens in the general election. So if we're thinking about the future for primaries and caucuses, since this is a topic that not most people know a lot of information about, they have been a tradition in the United States for about over a century, but do you think they will continue to exist into the future? I would probably say yes. You know, I haven't seen anything mainstream-wise about either party being unhappy with primary elections. It's still probably better than what we had before, which was basically just the parties, kind of the elites and the parties choosing who the candidate was going to be. This is right, definitely right. a more democratic process. So I don't, I would most likely see them continuing into the future. Excellent. And finally, have you been keeping up with the primaries and caucuses this year? And do you have any thoughts about how they've been going? And what have you been thinking? I have been keeping up. Ultimately, it's just been kind of boring compared (laughs) to the primaries in 2020 and 2016. Obviously, like 2016, you had Donald Trump versus like the rest of the Republican Party. 2020, you still had like a lot of competition between Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, all them. Where it's this, it's just kind of domination by Trump and Joe Biden. So it just hasn't been as much fun as it has been in the past, which could be a good or bad thing. Right. right. And we have seen both of these candidates before. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are thinking that it's going to be a Biden and Trump rematch. Like you're saying, we've seen these people before. It's not really as crazy as it was the first time it was happening. Right. Well, that wraps up all our questions that we have for you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of Season 5. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast for more episodes like this one and check out our social media to stay up to date with the rest of ICAP. Our handles on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are ONU underscore ICAP with two Ps. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening.